This episode is brought to you by The One Summit, two days that would change your life forever. For tickets, go to TheWellnessSummit.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And welcome, because today we're talking all about the business of writing books. And who better to hang out with (laughs) than three gorgeous cheeky babes, and that actually does include me. (laughs) But who better to hang out with than three of us who've written our own books, but, you know, actually, better still, you two spunky monkeys who've written multiple books. So, uh, over to you. Mm -hmm. Oh, over to us. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, well, let's start. Let's start. Um, Where do you start? What's the first thing? Yeah, where do you start? How do you organise your thoughts? I know how I do it. How do you Mm. girls organise? Well, Cindy, how do you organise your thoughts to actually bring the bigness of a book together because for most people and I've just come off speakers fast track and mm. lots of people want to write books but the thought of it is like overwhelming mm. how did you do yeah. it well the first book I ever wrote um and that um goes back to 1995 so nearly 20 years ago I wrote my first book well, and well, well you'd have been about four four <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you can pay me later for that one. I will. I will hey, pay hey, you hey, later for hey. that one. 24. <laughs> we like it. We do. So um, what happened was I was writing for the local paper and I would write weekly columns and it would be on a topic that I thought was important and it was it was about, you know, breakfast cereals, it was about milk or it was about whatever, you know, I wrote about it. And at the end of two years of writing it for the paper, I realised that I had a book in it. So what I did was I basically threw all of those, um, yeah, the weekly columns together. I just threw them together and I gave them to Penguin and I gave them to um, Random House and I gave them to, I think, 15 or like places that would publish my book and nobody was interested in it. And I thought, oh, well, maybe it's a dud, you know, maybe it's, you know, it's not anything so I shelved it I just shelved it and that was back in 1992 I shelved that and then in 95 um I had somebody who's an editor that I knew and she said let me read what you've put together so I I let her read it and she said Cindy this sounds very scientific and you're not scientific when you speak you're actually very um Yeah, very easy to understand. Talkative. (laughs) That's a good way of putting it. So very easy to understand. So um, she said, I think you should rewrite it in a very um, easy easy to understand, friendly, conversational conversational way. And that's what I did. That's the word I think you were looking for. Thank you. Chatty. Chatty. And it was chatty. It was very chatty. And that was 1998. I finally got that finished and decided I didn't want to be rejected by publishers again. No, I didn't want to be rejected. And somebody had told me about um, self-publishing. And I thought... Okay, well, then I went had to go into understanding self-publishing. So I had to find a formatter, had to find an editor, had to find um, somebody who would design the cover, had to get an ISBN and, you know, all of those things. So I, I got that all together and and, and basically um, printed, um, I think I printed 2,000 copies and I figured I needed to sell so many in order to pay back what it had cost me. And I think it was 6,000 at the time. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. That was That what was, was that what called? I did. Pardon? What was that book? That was Changing Habits, ah, Changing Lives. Ah, yeah, that was wow. my first book. So then, in, and then I sold around twenty thousand around the southeast Queensland area, which is phenomenal. Just saying, absolutely. Back then, I think it was very phenomenal because I think a bestseller was around um, three thousand at the time in the whole of Australia. You yeah. had to sell three thousand books. So of course, then publishing companies see somebody who's self, you know, self published, and they start calling you. And I was called by Penguin. And but then, I think, too, considering the nature of your content and the timing, you know, like we're a lot more aware nowadays. But yeah. back then, it probably would have been quite challenging. So for you to have that level of success, like that's pretty much the shizzle. Yeah. I think I'd be keen to actually explore, you know, how do, if, if, if we think about this podcast with somebody who's wanting to start, perhaps we can look at 
how do you organize your thoughts? And so for you, you had all your different articles. So you'd been writing for years and you, mm. you compiled your articles and then gave it to editors. And it was the editors that finessed it? Yes, it was. You it no, first? no. I had the help of, of people helping me write it simply. So they would read the complicated one and then they would write it in simple terms and I would look at it and go, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to say. Right. So I learned a lot from – it was actually a ghostwriter that helped me do a that. ghostwriter? Yeah. Oh, I've been looking into ghostwriters yeah. lately. It was a ghostwriter that actually took my thoughts and put it into a really readable – so what you read in Changing Habits, Changing Lives was the ghostwriter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Dilling, so just back to how you, like, what I've been listening to, there's a great podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer, which you might be interested in, the Australian yeah. Writers... Oh, Guild. Guild. Yeah. Um, I've just gone blank with her name, I'll look it up for you, but um, they're brilliant, and they're both talking about um, how to write a book, how to get your thoughts down. It's a weekly one-hour show, but they also bring into it things like what's going on in the writing world and what's been set out there and what's the best people to contact when it comes to writing. And their topics are really wow, good. They're, that's that's really helpful. Adele Koo, I think her name is, A-D-E-L-E. And, and it's, a, it's an Australian podcast. Yeah, yeah she runs oh. the Australian Writers, I don't know if it's Guild, but it's down in Melbourne. So I got to meet all these ladies a couple of months ago and they're just Oh, brilliant. when you met Commando. Oh, did we need... Shall we talk about that, shall oh, we? Oh, that's oh, right. <laughs> when you <laughs> met Commando. Not only met him, but oh, touched but him. Oh, but touched him and got a photo mm. with him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Anyway. That um, was... I do remember that visit. But that might be a really good podcast to, to listen to mm. um, or to look up anything around writing because I think those sorts of things are helpful. Um, Cindy, I just want to ask you again, though. As Did any of the work words or work come back from the ghostwriter that you weren't happy with and in which case do you end up creating quite a good relationship with a ghostwriter like does she really get inside your head or do you think some people could get it wrong because I've had experiences where we've had an editor who wasn't a ghostwriter she was an editor and completely changed our work to the point where I was reading it going that's not us but but she would say but that's what I think you should say and you start getting a bit lost sometimes. Yeah. So no, I had a, a gentleman, a guy, ghostwriter, um, and he uh-huh. he was absolutely brilliant. And I, no, I never felt that he changed my words. He just, um, you know, he did it very simply. And I used to read his stuff and go, wow. And, you know, I learnt a lot from him in that time. I learnt so much from him because I learned how to write during that time. But, you know, I like that was back in the days before the internet, before even computers. I didn't even have a computer. I used to type on a typewriter. Yeah, I used to type on a typewriter, put it in the fax to the newspaper. <laughs> and I think the computers were coming in by the time I was um, doing the book. So that became easier and easier. So it's about gathering a team. That's mm, what it is. it is. Once, you know, like... I, I never got my thoughts on paper. I just started to write like that. And there are bloggers out there yeah, that, that are blogging and they could get their blogs together and, and, and they do. Like look at um, Sarah Ballantyne from Paleo Mum. She just started blogging because she was a mum that found things and she wrote this book called um, Paleo um, something. I can't remember. But she was just a, um, a blogger, yeah. paleo blogger. And um, Denise Minga was the same. She wrote the book Death by Food Pyramid. She was just a blogger and she put her, her blog posts together. So now there are, are people out there that are blogging as opposed to writing for papers. You know, writing for papers was like you didn't get that job every day, but no. you can be a blogger. Absolutely. So, and a blogger, the beauty of blogging is there's no editing. It's your own work, yeah. and I think that's why blogging's become so popular because people aren't being told what they can and can't say. There's no restraint. Yeah, I remember when I put my book together, I had 189,000 words, and we gave it to the editor, and it came back with like 70,000 words. Wow! <laughs> wow! Oh, I was gutted. I was gutted. But I, I it, it's, it's, it is interesting. I mean, I'm very happy with my book, but I have to be honest. Like, the book took on the editor's flavour rather than mine. <clears throat> so it was it was her I could hear her in the book rather than me oh. when I read it um, but I don't know that anybody else feels the same way I thought it was just I think sometimes I, I got a bit attached to my word <laughs> <laughs> by the way her name's Valerie Koo it that is, runs and, and is it 
S Valerie. It's Valerie Koo, K H O and Alison Tate. And it's called So You Want to Be a Writer podcast. It's brilliant. I love them. And they're both very articulate and they're both, um, you know, you don't have to listen to all of them, but they're very interesting. But the thing I was going to say to you, though, around um, your book, though, Karen, when I read it, though, I hear you loud and clear. Oh, you do. I do too. And, And I think... Sometimes it's good. You get so in it I know. and so involved in it that I think it's good to have people. I, when we did, when Fleur and I wrote um, Like Chocolate for Women, the one we ended up self-publishing, we ended up giving it to seven friends who were very good readers and they were in oh. our book club. And we gave it the manuscript to all of them to read, and they became our editors. After we'd spent $3,000 with this other editor we weren't happy with, we then put it out to our seven girlfriends in the book club, and they came back with the most constructive, unbelievably helpful... They picked up spelling mistakes. They they looked at they were asked they put questions like an editor would. What do you mean here? Rather than rewriting it. Yeah. And I think that's really helpful to have people. But I think get people that are good readers and are articulate readers because I think that's what helped me because we were trying very hard to say some science but also make it quite chatty. So they got to know our personalities quite well. And I think. Shall we maybe talk a little bit about um, the self-publishing versus publishing role? Mm. Because I think they're very, very different. And I think in the 90s, to be published, I thought, was extraordinary. And you were almost... It was an honour. It was like you were one of a few. Um, And nowadays... And yet when when we came along and wrote our first book, Published, in 2001... We were told by another writer who was self-published at the time that, look, you've just got to understand that publishers are just glorified printers. Mm. Um, and no disrespect to our publishers out there, but I could see what he was saying because he felt very under the pump. He couldn't get the books. I mean, we couldn't get our book to buy from our publisher. The Whitcalls and the, I guess, you, what's the equivalent here of a bookstore? Um, what's, what's Angus, a book and Angus and Robertson. They would buy it cheaper than we could, and yet we'd written it. And we found that really frustrating. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about, because I, don't, I think most people don't know that when, if you publish through a publisher, you have to buy your books back from them. Yes. So what, what's the distinction for you, Kim, around um, publishing or self-publishing? Because you've done both, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. So what was what did you, which one did you do first? Did you self publish first? We did three published first. Yeah. And then two self published. So what would you talk about the getting published? How do you find a publisher? What's the deal? Do you make any money on those books? Okay. Is what's about, what about the publicity? Like getting it out there? Yeah. I think if you're new to this. If you're new to the whole game, having a publisher is like having someone hold your hand, and I think it's actually a really positive experience if you want to put it that way. You also don't have to put any money up. I mean, we let's go back. To, we wanted to write our book because we felt there wasn't a book out there for busy mums doing what we were doing. We both had breastfed babies and a toddler, and I'd been asked to write an article for a leading magazine in New Zealand, and I started writing it, and I rang Fleur, and I said, oh, my gosh, I know what it is we have to do. We've got to put this in a book. And she went, Okay. As all good friends do. (laughs) So we started by putting a proposal together because we didn't think of self-publishing then. We had no idea around self. We just knew we had to get published. So we put a two-page proposal together. Now, my husband had just been published by a big publishing house in New Zealand as he'd finished his cricket career. So I kind of had a little bit of an in. So we went along to this publisher thinking we would walk out signed up published authors we didn't realize they'd turn us down i mean why would they turn us down so we sat there with their marketing team really trying to sell our story and what we wanted to do and there was one woman and four men in the room and two weeks later we got called in and told look great idea but we don't think you'll sell more than a thousand copies and that's too niche for us and we were devastated honestly i didn't realize that you'd get turned down but anyway we linked arms <laughs> going I've, very I've, positive i've never been told no before <laughs> as she butts her eyelid, eyelashes i did i was really oh, shocked I um so but we linked arms walked out of the air and said, well, if Harry Potter got turned down nine times, that's the first of nine, let's go to the next one. So we kind of, and to be honest with you, it made us a bit stronger, a little bit more savvy, because then we tweaked the proposal, because we took on everything that they said, what they didn't think would work and how it wouldn't work. 
Because if you think about it, from a big sporting publica- publica- publishing house, putting pitching an aromatherapy book, of course we're with the wrong publisher. Like it didn't occur to me that there was publishing houses for certain genres. Um, so anyway, we tweaked. So you hadn't actually written the book or anything no. on the book right now. All you had was a two-page document that yeah. was like, okay, what do we think this will look like? Yes. Yeah, right. Well, we didn't even have the title of the book. We didn't even know what it looked like. We just knew what we wanted to say in it. Right. So we tweaked a little bit, and what we realised our winning factor was to get one over was the fact that we were speakers. And publishers love speakers because they know that they're going to go out and sell their book. Whereas a lot of people that are amazing writers write these books, hand it over, and think that they're going to become a bestseller. Mm. Um, And you know what? Every now and again, you get that one in a million that's just going to take off and be seen as a Fifty Shades of Grey, and it's going to go ballistic. Mm. Um, However, this was not one of those books, obviously. And so, but what was beautiful is the next day, the one woman that was in that meeting rang us and said, Look, I think you've actually, she was the one that wanted us, wanted the book. But the four men didn't. And so she said, look, I think you should go to this publishing house. I thought that was really generous of her to Mm. give us an alternative. So we pitched it to these two. It was called Tandem House and, um, sorry, Tandem Press. And we went to them and we so sold ourselves. They signed us on the spot. And not only did they sign us, but they wrote out a check. Oh, God. <laughs> How much for? It was only $2,000, but we were beside ourselves. <laughs> so we beautiful? Yeah. So we walked out of the air with a cheek, and we looked at each other. Now you've got to do it. We didn't know what to do next. We really didn't know what to do next. So we spent, and I liken a book to a pregnancy. It took us nine months from conception to birth. It was a nine-month journey. For all our books, it's been the same. So we found out we were pregnant, basically, got the contract, and then got major morning sickness because we didn't know what the hell to do and we felt ill to the core as to what to do next. So we went away and we kind of wrote what we thought we should write. Now, remember, we're not writers. We weren't bloggers. We hadn't been writing lots of articles, so we just wrote what we thought. In fact, what we did is we did a two-day workshop. We transcribed it and thought that's the book. But the written word is very different to the spoken word. And when we started looking at the transcript of our words, it was disgusting. <laughs> it was horrible. It was awful because the sarcasm or the jokes on stage. You just don't get that. You when cannot. You, put that into writing. you could not read that fully transcribed. Mm. It's quite a different art. So we were horrified, firstly, at how we sounded. Secondly, at actually what we would say on stage. Me in particular, because what comes out I don't control often, or I didn't. And that's another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But it was quite scary realising what you say. Um, it, It was the arms. Like, we literally got it transcribed. Literal. So that was a very powerful insight. Anyway, we spent the first 12 Sorry, it was six weeks. They wanted the first manuscript in six weeks. So we went that back is to them. A, that's a lot. Well, they wanted to see what we were like. They wanted the first part of the book. Oh, wow. So they just each Yeah, they wanted, well, no, the first half. They wanted at least yeah. half of it done okay. by then. Oh, wow. So, but we went in there and we sat there like we were naughty girls in the principal's office because we knew it was really bad. It was really bad. So, anyway, they called us back in a week later and sat there and they went, girls. And we knew we were in trouble. Um, They said, look, this isn't what you said on the transcript. And we looked at the transcript and we thought that looked really good. We had gone totally away from the transcript, you know, the the proposal. Oh, the proposal, And had looked at our own transcript and gone, oh, my gosh, where did we go? So we got completely lost, completely lost and no direction. So then they turned around and realised that they were going to need to give us direction. So then we worked for the next six weeks with an editor who actually pulled everything out of us. And it was brilliant, oh, and they were that's amazing. Really interesting how how lucky though to have yeah. somebody who actually would invest that time. Mm. Well, they knew they had signed us; they had to have this book out in November, and they knew that all of a sudden we weren't as great as we made out. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think they realised they were in trouble more than us, <laughs> and they'd already given you two thousand dollars, and they weren't going to lose their two grand. Yeah, 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 yeah. So oh. I think you know. Yeah, we sold ourselves. I mean, we totally went in there without fear. We were packing ourselves, but we just... But we also backed ourselves, and I'm not saying that in a... 
I knew we would deliver. We just needed advice and guidance on how to get that out yeah, of us. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the next, the middle 12 weeks, so then the middle 12 weeks was all around design and editing. So, um, and we did some midnight hour, boys. Did we just, or did we work hard? And there were some nights with the editor working till 2, 3 in the morning. We had babies, we were breastfeeding, we were exhausted. But it was also during the middle phase, the second trimester of our book, that we also did the photography, which to us mm. was just exquisite. So that's when we got... Now, this was interesting. The photographer had a different mindset as to how the book would look to us again. So she decided that it would be 18-year-old Marie Claire's jumping out of water, Marie Claire models jumping out of water, beautiful skin and all that. And we're sitting there. Two 30-year-old women with babies, exhausted, shattered, bags under the eyes going, are you for real? Like, this book was written for women like us, not 18-year-old models. So we turned around, we really fought tooth and nail around the women we wanted, and they said, well, what models have you got in mind? And we went, our friends. And they kind of laughed at first, but then when you looked at our girlfriends made up, we had a, a photographer, we had makeup. Um, artist, we had everything. We hired a penthouse in Takapuna. We had the beautiful. It took us three full days of photo- photographing in different scenes. We went out West Auckland. We went up a mountain. We went um, in the water, and we did an in-house shoot in a penthouse. So you can see where the costs add up. So who paid for that? They did. They did. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So they really, really. Um, Helped you. They believed in you and and they helped you along. Which, looking back, that is a $10,000 job in itself. Oh, yeah. Minimum. Just the photography. So I think what they really relied on was the fact that we were speakers, obviously. And we'd built a rapport with them, and I think they genuinely really started to like us and, and got the hang of us. So... Then we um, we went off, and the, fir- the photographing, to be honest with you, was the most exciting part of seeing the book come to life. Um, and it was in that point, though, that we realised how much we'd spent with them, that the photos would be black and white, that we would not have a colour book, so that your book can change course as well while you're writing, when yeah. you realise what your you know what your costs are and how you're going. And the book also evolves as you're writing. I don't think the minute you stay, you're going to write a book and how it ends up often is the same. I really doubt that most people that write books would say that my proposal from the beginning is exactly how it ends up. I think your book evolves as you go through. Anyway, and then the last 12 weeks, the, tr- the third trimester was all about starting to get the marketing whilst it went to print. So in that at that point, it was a 12-week lead-in to get our books printed because they were printed offshore. Um, and then you have a six-week printing thing and then a six-week shipping and then you launch and you have to account to get it on that date of launching. So launch date for us, our publishers had spent so much money that they decided that we'd have a few drinks on the Friday night in the office to celebrate our book. And I looked at Fleur and went, but yes, we haven't worked this hard just to have a few drinks on a Friday night. I wanted a book launch. And so poor Fleur. When I think of Fleur and all the things I made her do, um, so our publishers turned around and said, no, no, book launches, you'd only have a book launch if you were a Jamie Oliver or someone like that. And I went, well we can be a Jamie Oliver. So I decided to have a book launch and we sold tickets to our own book launch and people and our publishers were horrified. They actually were horrified that <laughs> but we you would sold sell tickets, tickets to the book. To book. Yeah, because people didn't people do, that do that back then. No, you invite yeah. people to your book launch, but it was the only way we could do it because mm. we had no money. So we sold twenty dollar tickets to our book launch. I kept driving past this building in Takapuna um, in Auckland, and it was the big Clear Communications building with this big glass atrium, and Clear Communications happened to be the sponsors of New Zealand Cricket. So I went in there and spoke to the head of marketing there and told him what we wanted to do, and he said, why not? Um, Didn't charge us anything to do it because we said we didn't have any money and we wanted to put $5 of each ticket back into a, a, a charity, which we had chosen the Women's Health Action, which was all around domestic violence and supporting you know, solo mums and things like that. Seeing as how this book was all about women looking after themselves, we wanted to give it to people that perhaps didn't have that opportunity. And $15 was allocated to a glass of wine and a few nibbles. So, um, and then our publisher said, and how do you propose to get people there, Kim? And I went, oh, that's easy. And Danny had just finished doing Celebrity Treasure Island, a, a nationwide television show where he was, you know, you get all, they get put on on, they get voted off and all that sort of thing. 
So I said to him, do you think if I sent a fax, because it wasn't emails in those days, mm-hmm. if I sent a fax to all those celebrities, they'd come? And he said, why not? So I sent a fax out to all of the people that were on Celebrity Treasure Island, all the top celebrities of New Zealand at the time, and most of them came back and said they'd be there. So then I did a press release, have no idea how to write press releases, but I did a press release saying, guess who's turning up to this book launch? That was my headline. I mean, what sort of a headline is that? <laughs> but guess who's coming to the book? The guess book who's book. coming to dinner? Yeah. Guess who's coming to the book launch? Yeah. <laughs> of the year. Brilliant. The book launch of, of the year. year. And I wrote Like Chocolate, and we'd, we'd got our name by that stage, which was Like Chocolate for Women, and I listed all the celebrities. And I put all the celebrities down, even though some of them had said no, because I could always say, oh, they couldn't come. So I just bluffed my way through that. So we had Sky TV, the New Zealand Herald, the Breakfast Television Show, and we had the Women's Weekly and Next Magazine all turn up to come to this event. And we had probably seven celebrities out of the 15 that we'd emailed turn up. But then I turned around and I thought, who could MC it? And a lady on national television over there, Kerry Woodham, is an amazing speaker. She's like a, a bit like our ABC woman in the morning, Gaffney, Annie Gaffney. Oh, yeah, Annie Gaffney. So she's like yeah. her. So I, I rang her. No, no, I faxed her, that's right, because she got a fax through on morning radio. And I said to her, Kerry, would you mind being the MC for our book launch? This is who's coming. This is what it's about. Would you do that? And apparently she stood up at our book launch and introduced it and she said, I don't know about you, but for those of you that know Kim Morrison, I mean, saying no to her would be like kicking a kitten. <laughs> so she said she I, and she goes and I could tell she was blonde with her facts I knew she was a blonde so I don't know what she said but anyway so she emceed it which she then gave kudos to it and then the next day and so how many people did you have at the launch 250 people your publisher must have thought we have got a winner here yeah, yeah. because that's just amazing. 250 people Absolutely. at a book launch and that have all paid $20 to I go. Know, yeah. I know. And not only that, we sold more books per person that night than they'd done with any other Look, publisher or yeah. author ever yeah. because it was Christmas and and Kerry stood up there and said, now listen here, you won't be here to buy one book, you will be here to buy three books, one for your mother and one for your sister. That's what you're here to do. And so she actually planted it in Mm. their heads that they all needed to buy Christmas presents, which was just an amazing marketing tool in itself. So we ended up then selling more books than a Jamie Oliver would on a book launch night. So the next day we got called into the national radio show in the morning, and I told the host of the show this, but she misheard me, or I don't know what she said, but when we got introduced, she said, now these two have sold more books than Jamie Oliver. So she kind of I got it a little bit twisted, but we went with it. We went with it. (laughs) Go with that. We went with it. And so we, I just tapped Fleur under the table like, let's just go with this. And and we did. And we acted like we were a bigger author than Jamie Oliver. So we had three reprints within the first three months of our book, which is big. That is, that's Um, that's awesome, isn't it? That is amazing. So they sold the book rather than you selling the book. So let's talk about... um, when you go with the publisher, the cost of the books, because then you buy them and then you have to resell them. And if you, you know, you don't get a lot, do you? No. So out of every book that sold, Fleur and I earned $3 of a $30 book. Oh, I was going to say, how much did the book sell for? $30. So, $30. so Fleur and I earned so $3. We got a 10% royalty, which wow. is pretty standard. Yeah. Um, which meant Fleur and I got a dollar fifty each. Now, what was the other interesting thing is Whitcools, which is like our... Um, Angus and Robertson, a big chain nationwide, would not take the book on, and that's what publishers rely on. <clears throat> so when we found out that news, they wouldn't take it on because they didn't think it, it. They thought it was too niche, and they didn't think it would sell. So I thought, right, I'll make them want this book. So I asked every one of our friends and everyone at the book launch if they would go into Whitcalls and ask for the book. Because when you go into a bookshop and you ask yeah. for the book, they then order it in. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, Whitcalls all around Auckland had ordered in, and they usually order in three copies, two to three copies. They all of a sudden, Whitcalls all around Auckland ordered three copies at every bookstore. Yeah. And then um, and then they would, my mother was the funniest. She would she rang Whitcalls in Christchurch, Dunedin. She rang all of them and pretended she was a local. And then they'd ring her and say, oh, look, we've got your book in. And she said, oh, it's all right. I went to Dimmick's. That's what she'd oh. say to them. But you took too long, I went to Dimmicks. So now they're stuck with three books. 
So what would happen then is that now Whitcalls had our book in all their shops, and then when we launched our second book, they were the first ones to sign us on because they could see that. Mm. In fact, the second book launch we did was at Whitcalls in Queen Street. We had a big shop front window. We decided to get them on board even more and did the book launch there. Again, sold tickets to our own book launch, which they couldn't believe, but they could see the benefit in it. We had nearly 200 people at that book launch, and again... um, I even went to Trillise Cooper, who's one of our biggest fashion designers of New Zealand, and asked her to dress us, which she did. Um, so then I had her on board, and she came and she spoke. At, so I just—it was amazing at what I learnt mm. was you just sell yourself and yeah. you and you be a little bit cheeky, cheeky. I would say, did you get that? Yeah, yeah, I got that loud and clear. Every step of the way, you were cheeky, very, and you stepped out mm-hmm. of what the normal person would have done, which is standing back, waiting, 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 and you can't when you do a book there's just no way mm. just just so um it was really interesting doing self-publishing first because i understood the value of a book in terms of what it cost and so when i then went with the publisher uh, i made a, I, I said to them well i'm not buying it back at, at any price but this and so you can actually negotiate with your publisher as mm. to what you buy it back at. Well, our publishers would only let us have it at the same price as the wholesalers if we bought the same amount of them. So I can, you could kind of... And so what would happen, how a publisher determines how, what the copy, what the book will be sold at or how they will retail it. And normally a book is discounted 40% to sell it to wholesale. Yeah. So, um, and that's usually, and by the time you take into account the costs of editing, you know, formatting, designing, and all those things you're talking, distribution, all of that, I mean, it is, it's not cheap. Um, However, the actual real cost of a book to get it printed is phenomenally cheap. But it's all those pre-press and pre-design and all of that sort of thing that costs you. You you have to cover your costs, and they have more costs than an author that's just self-published. But what's um, interesting, in the days when we did it, there was the published book. That was it. You only had a published book. And the reason why we are actually talking about this is because I saw a Facebook post from you, Karen, um, saying that you had got um, a big check from Amazon because of your Kindle version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just went, so now, you know, when mm-hmm. we were doing the book, it was your solid book and you sent it out mm-hmm. and you you sold it in bookstores and you sold it um, through your talks. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Now... It's just changed so much. So tell us about getting it electronically, Karen. Well, that was in and of itself quite an adventure um, because to get the file formatted, um, well, so I self-published my book. And um, and how long ago was this, darling? I, oh gosh, I, I started, I wanted to write my book for about five years, but I couldn't get it out because I couldn't really organise my thoughts well enough. Um, so I have a bit of a process for organising my thoughts, but I finally managed to start writing in the January um, of 2012 because by the October of 2012, I was, going to be, yeah, I was going to be on 60 Minutes. Oh, that's right. I do remember that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to be on 60 Minutes um, here and overseas because it was the anniversary of the 2002 Bali bombing. And I really wanted to have my book ready for that. So I had spoken with the woman who was helping me um, to write my book. And she'd sort of given me some ideas in terms of the timeframes. And um, so I'd spoken with her about it. She said, look, it takes this long to get it printed, or this long to get it edited, this long to get it printed. So these are things that you've got to be working on now, which was the design cover, getting the ISBN, um, which was actually really easy. It was just an email. Mm. Just explain what the ISBN is. It's a unique. It's a unique number for every book, and it's also a unique number um, that tracks how the book is being sold or how the book is going from a selling point of view. So, um, if you have a paper copy, like a hard copy of a book, it has an ISBN number. If you have an ebook version of the book, it has another ISBN number. So that, um, and if you have an audio version, yeah, that's right, because there's audio versions as well. Uh, there is, there yeah. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So it stands for International oh. Standard Book Number ISBN International Book Stand. Standard National book. Standard, standard Book, book Number. number. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. I love Professor Google. He's my favourite friend. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. love him. I just love him. 
Yeah, so she told me how to get all of that organised. Um, and then I started writing and got it done. Anyway, there was a problem with it. I can't quite remember what it was, but it was the, the e-book version was supposed to have been ready at the same time that the paper copy was. But um, I had a girlfriend helping me out with that, and it just didn't... I, I don't actually know the detail of it, but it didn't coordinate well. So I did a book launch, and I think we had about 200 and something Yeah, at the book there launch. were heaps there. Yeah. That, that was a pretty spectacular book launch. It was awesome, <laughs> wasn't it? It was. It was. Awesome. It was. And Kimmy was our MC. Mm-hmm. I loved doing that. Wearing that, that white, too. tight condom dress. Condom dress. We called it. And very high heels. Very high, very high heels. heels. And so did you, not, by the way. I thought I, I loved my dress. I had this yes. leopard skin number mm. with sparkles on it and jewels. And I had my hair drawn on and my makeup drawn on. I looked fabulous, darling. <laughs> she really you did. did. You did. You I both even got a spray fabulous. tan. <laughs> believe it. You looked hot. But oh. then she couldn't sit down in her dress. Yes, she was hysterical. Because I, I, I was a little bit fluffy and my dress was a little tight. So I just had to lean <laughs> on the stool. You had to lean elegantly. <laughs> I hope my feet didn't slip out from underneath me. God, I could see it all turning pear That was a beautiful... Would have been memorable. Old tights. It was memorable, but it would have been really memorable. Unforgettable then. Um, So, yeah, so finally I got my book actually in e-version only about six months ago. So now, what are we now? From the time that it was released, we're about two years on um, because getting the file converted, I had to go back to the publishers to get the original file. Uh, not the publishers, the printers, because I self-published. So I had to go back to the printers to get their original file copy because I couldn't get the file copy from the editors or from anybody who'd helped me along the way. Um, so I had to go back to the printers and I had to go and buy that. And that cost, it wasn't expensive. That cost me, I think, $188 for the printers to give me back my original file copy so that then I could take that and get that converted. Yeah to um, an online version. Yeah. But once it was done, it was done. And it was, it's, it, I, put, I put it up on Amazon. And when you put it up on Amazon, you create an account as an author and you give them your bank account and you also strike up a deal with them. So they give you a couple of different options to strike up the deal. And um, I took an option where I had 90 days where I'd made a promise that I wouldn't give that book to anybody else and I would also not put it on my own website for the first 90 days, purely because with Amazon in the first 90 days, I don't know if you know, but when you buy a book, well, you do know, of course you know, for those of you guys who buy books off Amazon, yeah. probably you're, we're all the same. <laughs> you know, when you buy a book, at the when you scroll down at the bottom, it says when readers looked at this one, they also looked at these. Yeah, yeah. So for the first 90 days, they really push your book through those channels. Um, and my ebook went through the roof. In the first 90 days, it went through the roof. I don't remember. I don't even remember because I wasn't tracking it. I had somebody else helping me then. Um, and I thought, oh, great, this is awesome. But the amount of money that they give you in that first 90 days is very little. <laughs> very little. you got to pay a price for it. You know, like it, you, you don't – the thing that I've learned as an author is um, – when it, because as I said, as I'm self-published, but when it comes to being an author, everybody's taking a piece of the pie. Mm, yeah, everybody's taking their piece of the pie. So what's left for the author is actually really mm. very, very minimal. But it was just a price I paid because I thought, well, I've still got the hard copy of the book. I'm still selling that, and I'll always sell that. And then the ebook version that can just be a bonus. You know, that can just be cream on the top, and it'll get what it gets. I haven't had it for two years, so I'm not going to miss it if I don't sell anything. And then the other day, and I just forgot about it. And then the other day, I get a check in the mail from Amazon. I'm like, okie dokie. That's a bit of aura. But you know what I've learned about the Amazon checks? is They come to Australia in American dollars. Oh, doesn't that just suck? And then it takes 30 days to clear. Almost seven weeks when it, like we, because we've been doing it, we ended up, we, we ended up creating an account elsewhere because Did of you? that very reason. Because I would lose 
um, well, you lose $30, $40 of your chair. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That, you know, and that, that's like $30, $40, especially when you're first starting, you're only getting $150. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like, okay. There you go. Well, where's, what's the point of that? Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. So and the bank fees. And the bank fees. And, and the then conversion. it takes, that, the check has to be sent back to the US. Yes. Yeah, and then they clear it and then it comes what's back to Australia. international banking? Um, yeah, I know. It's just appalling. It is appalling. That's and the only tactics. way you can do it electronically and not having it done by check is to have a US bank account. So you've got a US bank account? It's that secret squirrel, Karen, and you just told everybody. (laughs) (laughs) You have to remember, I'm an American citizen. Of course you are. So last time I was over there, yeah, last time I was over there, I opened up an account for that very reason. Mm. So I wasn't losing 30 bucks, and so now... <laughs> we can talk. <laughs> we can talk, darling. <laughs> we need to talk. We do. But you know, you know the other thing about um, the, the whole Kindle thing is that it doesn't cost you very much at all. Once you've mm. done everything, yeah, there's no cost, and so you buy and you buy a book for ten bucks off Kindle. Yeah, you think you've got a deal. Yeah. You think you've got the best deal right. out. So Absolutely. more and more people are doing it. Yeah. And then I don't Do you have the deal now where you get 70% and they get 30%? Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. So then you start to make your money. Yeah. 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 It's really right. Exciting. So when I saw you get it, I went, oh, my gosh. Do you know, I, I went to a conference just recently and this girl said, she, she said, Cindy, I want to talk to you about, you know, your books. I'm a blogger and I want to write a book. And I realized how much I actually knew about mm. self-publishing, Kindle versions, um, you know, going through a publisher, ha- having literary agents, you know, because did you have a literary agent, Karen? No, I'm actually looking at that right now because I want to put, um, I want to expand the business. Well, the business is expanding into the US and also into the UK. So I want to start looking at a literary mm. agent probably um, in June. I'm going to look at that. So, let's, so yeah, did you have a literary us. agent? No, no. So what happened to me was I didn't even know what a literary agent was. So let, I'll explain what they are. They are the advocates for the authors um, for their contracts to the publisher. Okay. And they're also the spruikers to the publishers for the author. So they may think you're really good and they'll go to who they think might take you on. So they take their piece of the pie too, literary agents. It's like having a manager, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. It's a manager. So my cousin worked in the um, publishing, but in education publishing, and she said, Cindy, you need a, a literary agent so that you don't get hauled over the coals with your contract when you go with um, a publisher. Because I trusted the publisher. Mm. I would have signed at the dotted line not reading my contract. Oh. Because I didn't, I was so naive back then. Yes. You know, I was very naive and I thought that they were there for me. They'd seen how well I'd done and they, you know, they were there for me. So she said, you need a literary agent to check your contract. You need a literary agent to, to be your advocate with that publisher because they'll take you for as much as they can mm-hmm. because they know how well you can sell a book. They've watched you. They've seen you sell all by yourself, and now they want a piece of your pie. Mm. And I never saw it that way. So she recommended a literary agent. He took me on. And thank goodness, Mm. because when I went with the publisher, and people need to be aware of this, when they're writing out a contract, they were actually back in the 90s. They were writing out contracts for e-books, but e-books weren't even around then. For audiobooks, yet audiobooks were hardly no. done back then. So they saw what was happening in the future. And so they had contracts on all of that. And they had they wanted international rights, they wanted, you know, the Australian rights, they wanted everything. And my my literary agent said to me, You realise they want fifty years, Cindy, of you. They want fifty years in Australia, they want fifty years in the in internationally. For that one book. For the one book. They want um, all your um, electronic rights. They want all your audio rights. They want everything. And I didn't That's know what electronic insane. was. But I didn't know what electronic was. I didn't know what audio was. I didn't know what anything was. So, so if you him, did any reprints, sorry to interrupt yeah, you. So if you did right. any reprints inside of that 50 years or you decided you wanted to update it or add something to it or change it, they had the rights to that as well, they not the just that original copy. No, mm-hmm. no, they had the rights to, to everything. Anything titled. Everything. everything. So... Oh. Then I, and I didn't know this, you know, and I was a naive, Ooh. you know, 30-year-old going into a business that I knew nothing about, yeah. except, you know, mm. you, you get a little bit, you get savvy as you go. So um, he said, I'm only going to give him two years for international. Thank goodness. 
Because if they'd had 50 years, I've still got 30-something years to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm, I've done, what am I, I'm nearly at 20. Uh, no, no, I did 2,000 with them. So I've done 15, 14 years with them. So I've still got 36 years with them. Oh, so you did So you did agree to the 50 years of in Australia? Nationally, yeah, in Australia. But internationally, I needed two years. And they went, I, I got published in Greece and I got published in Korea. But I wouldn't have been able to do Kindle in the US. I, would, I can't do Kindle here in Australia because they have the rights to a, of that version here in Australia for 50 years. So anything that's sold in Australia for Changing Habits goes to them, but anything that's sold outside Australia comes to me. Interesting. These are rights that you just you, you just don't, don't and know. And the contract is so long. It's, it's so, so long. It was like this thick. And, yeah. That was about two centimetres, everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, Cindy, puts, Cindy holds up her hand and says, this thing? Yeah, no, the space between her two fingers was about a... Well, actually, there wasn't. It was about a centimetre and a half. Yeah, it was. It was, pretty, it was pretty thick. So all of a sudden you, you start to realise that um, you do need people as advocates for you. So a literary agent um, was really good for, the adv- for being an advocate. Now I look... Like, and I'm still paying him, them. You know, I still pay them. Um, and I'm with a big group in Sydney. So I tried to buy back or get back my book. So this is another thing. You can get your books back. Mm, we bought ours back. So if you're doing really badly, they'll give it back to you. Yeah. But if you're doing well, they won't give it back to you. Yeah. So um, Changing Habits has continued to be a very big seller because of me. Mm. For no other reason but because of me, because I'm out there marketing and selling and I'm all the time. We, we buy. We're their biggest buyers. Mm. So we're the biggest wife. But I did, um, and people need to know this, you can negotiate. You know, you're getting 10%. Mm-hmm. You can negotiate 12 and 15%, um, depending. But, but you can also have partnerships with publishers. You only have to look at four ingredients. They ended up doing partnerships with publishing houses. So, oh, and, you, and they, they negotiated did? the biggest deals I've ever seen in my life. Oh. I, I didn't even know that was possible. But um, Yeah, see, like the, the, it, is, mm. it is possible. Mm. And people have to be aware of this. If they're out there looking, do I do a Kindle version? Do I do my own version? Do I go through a publisher? You know what Valerie Koo and Alison talk about on that, say you want to be a writer? They say the most important thing is to just start writing. Mm. Just start writing. And and they believe that you just... And don't forget, they're all writers. Yeah. So it's very... Someone like me that's not a natural writer. Well, I don't think I'm very good oh, writer. Oh, you're a good writer. You're a very engaging writer. Oh, well, isn't that... Well, I don't think I'm an intelligent yeah. writer then. Put it that way. <laughs> no, no, Kimmy, you're, you're very engaging. I love reading your stuff. Oh, really? And it makes me read on... Um, Jess Ainscoff is another one. Oh, yeah. yeah she's I, like, when she writes, I can't stop. Yeah. But there are some people I'll read the first paragraph and I go, I'm bored already, and yeah. I'll leave. Yeah. So I, I think if you're an engaging writer... That's the most important. I think mm. that's the most important. It doesn't matter about... Mm. Well, the, like, what you put down is also important, but, like... I was, I was reading something this morning um, on some blogger and, and I, I couldn't stop reading it, even though it was yes. of no... no um, Importance? No, it, was, it, it wasn't going to get me any further. Mm. I just couldn't stop reading what this person was saying. So, And that's the, the problem with Facebook, I think, sometimes. <laughs> but I think that's... But, but I, having said that, I think that's the key because there's a distinction, you know, even when people think that I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to start speaking, they think they have to become a speaker mm. or they think they have to become a writer. Instead, the opposite's actually true because it's more engaging when you conversate yes. as a speaker. It's far more engaging when you conversate when you're writing. Yes. I mean, it is a different skill for sure, but if you, if you write like you would write a thesis or an essay, it's kind of not going to be the most engaging conversational mm you know, um, piece there. But I think if a person like, like you do, Kim, when you write, mm. you write I the same way that you speak, speak so you to my can girlfriend. hear your voice. Yeah, it's yeah. mm. so yeah. true. You know, um, I think also what's important from the perspective of speaking and writing, there is no doubt if you can speak that you will sell more copies of your book. Oh, so to me, and that's where I had a lady ring me the other day, um, and she was talking about it, and she'd not heard of Karen Smith. I mean, hello. Really? Mm-hmm. And I, I said to her, who is mm-hmm. this woman? I know, who is this Trust woman? Trust me, she knows you now. <laughs> <laughs> um, How but she was looking, and she, I mean, she rang me asking me a question about an oil, 
and we ended up talking and she had the, she's all around paleo and all that sort of a thing and and she said oh, I, I'm really thinking of learning to speak and she goes because I'm really finding it hard to get my message out there I think if you are if you learn how to speak if you can tell your story speaking I reckon that's what's helped me as a writer mm. because it's taught me articulation being present being aware of what I say being also understanding of, of watching people's reactions and what works that transcribing of a workshop was hideous when I first did it, but I recently did it not long ago, and I was actually really wrapped at how far I have come in 12 years as a speaker, and I thought it was a really neat, even though, like, a bit like you when you talk about your speaking, that first thing that was videoed, you can't stand it, mm. but I think sometimes when you see that compared to where you are now, you actually realise what you've learnt and achieved. But I think we're in a, a, um, an age now where speaking is not that important to sell books, because... Like, I've seen some um, amazing bloggers do brilliantly with their, with their book sales. Yeah, or, I mean, if they've, got a nice, if they've got a good profile. If they've got a really good profile, they're doing well. Like, um, I kind of see blogging as speaking. To okay, me, a blogging right. is a way of speaking. Like, yeah, yeah you're writing it, but yeah. it is a very conversational. Yeah. And it's very personal, mm. and it's very authentic to that person so I agree with you but I think blogging is, has been one of the most amazing insights into the world of writing like uh, the way I see people doing really well um, and I've been watching because I find it interesting so podcasts are very very popular at the yeah, moment aren't they? and so if you have a podcast or are interviewed by a popular podcaster you sell heaps and heaps and heaps I, yeah. I see this if you're part of a summit you know, you're interviewed from a summit and somebody likes what you're saying, you can get your book. This wasn't available when, mm. you know, when I look back, back in the, the 90s, this wasn't available. So the opportunity to become a bestseller is becoming more and more available to just anybody mm. that's out there and wants to get their message across. Whereas back in the 90s, I believe... It was. You had to be published. You had to have a book. It had to be in a bookstore because there was no online sales that, that I can remember. So I think it's. I think there are other ways. Speaking is definitely one. Blogging is another way. Being interviewed, being on television. Like look at Pete yeah, Evans, yeah. okay? So Pete Evans is, um, was a very fat chef. I don't know if you... Who, no, you, I didn't know he was fat. Oh, no. gosh, look at, back at his old photos. He was quite a puffy face. Oh, wow. So I don't think that he was... Um, I don't think he was into paleo back then. No. And I then I noticed him starting to lose weight throughout it, and then I noticed him starting... Um, he's hot. It's, yes, he's gorgeous. Blue eyes. Oh, yeah. But I went and listened to him speak. I had to tell you, but... I was sadly disappointed. Sorry, Pete, but you were shocking. <laughs> you need to do Karen's course. You need to do Karen's course, definitely. He's puffy. Shall yeah, yeah, look. Kim, oh, Kim, Kim got, did, you, did you just do that then? Yeah. Oh, I can see that Yeah, now. he was, he was, and I think, I don't know, but I have a feeling that maybe his new girl, and I may be completely wrong here, <laughs> was paleo and got him into paleo, and now he is spruiking paleo everywhere. He's on Facebook. Um, you know, he's really getting out there and a lot, and he's, he's sold all his books, yeah, you know, his first yeah. book out and he sold, well, I think it was his first book out. He's doing lots of publicity right now. So a lot of yeah. publicity. That's the other thing to remember, publicity with publishers. You get two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks with yeah. him and that's Two weeks on the road and that's mm, it. Mm. If that. Yeah. 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 I, I got two weeks on the road. Yeah. When I, I spoke yeah. with Penguin about Soul Survivor and they, they offered to take it on and in the end, I said no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I thought, because I said, to, okay, because the only reason that I would have gone with them was for that publicity mm. um, because I had 60 minutes. And I thought, well, you know, it would be great to have other complimentary publicity around that. You had the coup. Yeah. You yeah. had the best. You had everyone. <laughs> but they said, they, she said to me, no, she said, look, honestly, she said, I'm going to be really honest with you. She said, we want the book. She said, because we know we can make it move. Yeah. But she said, um, the best that we'll do is, like, you know, a couple of the local papers. She said, we might be able to get it onto the radio station. But she said, that's all that we do. She said, our, the person who does our publicity has left. So she said, so we're in the process of replacing them. And she said, so it's probably going to take a while. Um, I, she actually said... This is Penguin. Yeah, it was, it, was, um, it was a while ago. I mean, they were awesome. And if I was yeah. going to go with the publisher, they're the only publishing company that I would go with. 
because they were brilliant with me. Mm. They were absolutely brilliant with me. And the woman that I spoke with was so informative, so open, so honest, so... Um, she actually cared mm. about mm. me in comparison to other publishing houses that I'd spoken with. She actually cared. And when I said to her, look, because she gave me the offer and she said, think about that. And then I came back and I said, I'm actually going to decline. And she said, I think you're making the best decision. Wow. Was this Sydney or Melbourne? Oh, or I, you, I can't, they, you can't I, remember. I can't yeah. Because they, um, they have different... Um, she was amazing. They, yeah, they have different teams. And I, I, yeah. that's amazing. Isn't she that was wonderful? She was Fabulous. She was fabulous. Wow. And that's the th- you know what the whole key to this podcast is? It's about gathering information. Mm. And, and resources. And, and yeah, and looking at all your options. And I think the other thing, you know, the Australian Writers Centre is, is the place that I'm talking about with Valerie. What They even offer writing tours, writing workshops. Oh, wow. Write how to actually put a book together. They mm. give you advice. They put you in touch with literary agents. They, they're amazing. So uh, out of that... I am so under the pump at the moment that my new book coming out this year, mm-hmm. my ghostwriter arrives this weekend to get this out. So you can employ ghostwriters. That's mm-hmm. another thing. That, mm-hmm. So you end up, like you said before, telling your story, and then they because I haven't got time to put it all together. Are they expensive? No, not for what I. I don't think so. Not for what I get. I mean, they're a big investment. Mm-hmm. But the way my husband did his book to get his ghostwriter, he actually got a sponsor, and I was looking at doing the same thing. So you actually can get a sponsor that sponsors the ghostwriter, then that sponsor gets their branding on all your books, which is another way to, mm. to help finance yeah, things. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. And the other thing you can do is you can actually write a book for a company. So you might end up, like Fleur and I worked for a company in New Zealand, we ended up doing a lot of their skincare and aromatherapy training. We then put a book together that they were the biggest buyer of the book, which is how we got it published because they ended up buying the book. We could have actually branded it just with their logo on it and it would have been a book that sold through all of those retailers. How awesome. So you can, there's always ways around it and you've got to remember those self-publishing, you're up for every single cost yeah. and it's upfront costs. Um, and I'll be, I'll be honest, to print like chocolate for women, it was a $40,000 upfront cost for us. Wow. Um, yeah. Because, so when I because just... ours was a design. But in the stupid thing about self-publishing, sorry to interrupt no, you, go, go. was here we were thinking, oh, good, now we haven't got anyone telling us that we can't write this, we can't write that. Oh. So we did it. It was 305, six pages. So it was a bloody heavy book, which when we got it, we didn't realise and we didn't think about it from a posting point mm-hmm. of view. So... <laughs> Like, you know what? We've just touched the surface. I know. There's yeah. so much to talk about. And, and I, I think what you've said is direct these Australian people are interested to go to there. Because once you've written the book, then you have to market it. Yes. And marketing is, like, I've been marketing for 20 years. Yeah. You, that And that was what I was so proud there was in the garage, 2,000 books. <laughs> we did too. Yeah, you're so proud of it. And then you go... Oh, oh hell. my gosh. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. <laughs> the easy part, I think, is yes. the writing of yes. the book and getting it in that garage or putting it on Kindle or whatever. Like, I, you know, I, I think that that's the easiest part. It's then marketing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's another conversation in itself, I'd say. Oh, yes. absolutely. Definitely. But I think, I think the first thing for anybody who's flirting with writing a book right now, I think the first thing you need to do is you need to gather your resources around how to organise your thoughts. Oh, and I love the way you do this. Yeah, I think it's really important. Well, just super, super quick. What I do is I get plastic sleeves and I put a a big, and it's quite a manual process, but you could do it on the computer. A4 plastic sleeves? Yeah, A4 A4. plastic sleeves, and I get a folder with a two-ring binder. And then I put big stickers on the front of each plastic sleeve, and each plastic sleeve represents a chapter. So... um, then, so I kind of sit down and I work out, all right, what are the chapters that I think I want to have in my book? Now, you're going to change it. Mm-hmm. It's, abs- it's not going to be the, the, the be-all and the end-all, but it's a way of organising your thoughts. So I put, a, put a, a title on each sticker. So I might say, this chapter's going to be on focus, this chapter's going to be on fun, this chapter's going to be on family, this chapter's going to be on whatever. And Because um, originally my book was going to be called The F Word. <laughs> Get effed? <laughs> no, just the F word. <laughs> so every chapter started with an F. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my original thought. And um, so then with each plastic sleeve, you've got a chapter in there. And then you sit down and it's just when you're inspired. So you don't force it. You don't force inspiration. You don't force creativity. Otherwise, it's too analytical. 
So when you wake up and you feel inspired, you get an idea, you grab a piece of paper, write the idea and for each particular, you know, whichever chapter you're thinking of and stick it in that plastic sleeve. And then you just spend however long you need to collecting ideas for each plastic sleeve. And then, you, and then when it's time to actually start working, you pull out a plastic sleeve, you pull out all of the ideas inside of that plastic sleeve, and then you write the content based on the ideas in that plastic sleeve. But I think in order to keep the chapters compelling and what you write compelling, you do need to have a bit of a structure. Mm. Otherwise, what tends to happen is we waffle. Mm. Totally. And it's when people waffle that there's two things that happen. When you waffle when you're writing a book, your book becomes really boring and challenging to read, but your editing becomes extremely expensive. Mm. Uh, Good point. Yeah. Mm. So if you're writing to a bit of a structure, um, which just happened to share in my speaking program. <laughs> um, so they'll have to go to Speakers Fast Track. Speakers Fast Track, all the W's, dot Karen Smith, dot com. There it is. <laughs> 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 yeah, so See, true. this is marketing <laughs> at its best. <laughs> this is marketing at its best. Touche. Right. Tights, tights. Um, so then, yeah, so then you, write, you, you write your little thingies to a structure and then that's what you send to the editor. So write your so get all of your ideas, write them into a bit of a structure, then don't try and put it together because that's beyond you. You're the creative creator. You're the person who's done the writing of each of your ideas. Don't try and make it make sense. Don't put it in a lot in well, you can put it in logical and sequential order, I would suggest that. But then hand it over to the editors and let the editors actually create the flow for you. Because by the time you finish writing on all of your ideas, you're probably well and truly exhausted from the book. Mm. And then when the editor sends you back the first draft, that's when you've got to reinvest again to reinvest your time again to then make what the editors have given you back make sense in your own words and language. So I had six editing rounds mm. um, wow. and I had four different editors because the first, well, because and she's a perfectionist. Well, I am a, per- I am a perfectionist. <laughs> and you know what? It's true. It's when the so editor, true. when the editor first sent the book back, she didn't do any proofreading. No. All she did was, did it make oh. sense? And then she sent me back a world of questions to answer, which was great. And then I sent it back thinking I was going to get it back with the mistakes corrected. Yeah. The mistakes were never corrected by that particular editor. So I had to go and then get another editor to correct the mistakes. Wow. But then that editor suggested that the first editor had missed a lot of the depth in the story. So then that editor wanted to change. That's the thing, isn't it? When you yeah. start getting more and more people involved and you can get bloody confused as the author mm. and start losing your way with it. In the end, mm. I put my mum on. My mum studies at uni, ah. and I said to her mother, you know my story, you know me, please have a read through it if you see any mistakes or anything you don't understand. My mum picked up more spelling mistakes than the four editors combined. Mm. Oh, my gosh. The girls in my book club picked and, up all the editing mistakes. And there the are still editor. mistakes in my book. Yeah. There are still spelling mistakes. My name is spelt wrong on the last page. <gasps> So instead of saying, you know, my, with my website, instead of saying www.karensmith.com, it's www.karensmith.com. Oh, you're kidding. That's so funny. Cindy's tummy is my rumbling. Can I just say, to, to prelude putting them into the sleeves, I also did what you suggested at, at one of your workshops, which was I post-it noted um, all those original thoughts to get the chapters and then put that all over my window yeah. and then put that into a font to create the chapters. So you yeah. get a, a post-it pad, you write down everything you think that you'd like to put into this book and then you put it all up onto a big whiteboard or onto a window and then you move the post-it stickers into the creating the chapters mm. and that was a really good way for me to start. Um, That's my storyboarding Yeah, process. love it, love it. Mm. Um, but, which is also how you formulate speeches. Which is why I think the two can be so interrelated and, and interlinked so powerfully. Yeah. Um, so the couple of the websites that we've recommended um, are the Australian Writers Centre and then the podcast was um, So You Want to Be a Writer? That's what I called it. So, uh, yes, yes, yes. So You Want to Be a Writer? And that's Alison, Alison Tate and Valerie Koo, who I think are the, I just think they're brilliant since I've met them. Um, you've got to think about things like your formatter, editor, designer. Now, Karen just mentioned before, um, about making sure you don't put anything you know too fancy in when you give it to your editor. You've also not got to do anything except keep one font 
and one size the whole way through for a designer. They do not want any boxes. They don't want any bolding. They don't want a designer does not want you to touch. It needs to be as raw as possible. One font, one size the and, whole book. And word. In what? In Word. In Word document, yeah. Um, then you've got to look for a printer if you're going to self-publish and a distributor. You can look for a um, literary agent. Was there anything else, girls, that we talked about? Um, well, you can look at marketing as well. So oh, there, are, there are a lot of good marketers out there or learn on the internet. Um, there's lots of lots of places on the internet that can well, teach you about marketing. When I look at the help you get now, yeah. if, even if you Googled, want to write a book yeah. you'd be amazed at the information that comes yeah. up but yeah i think that's, that's See, pretty good I, I just um just as when i did it back in the 90s um there was one book out called publish for profit oh, by, yeah? by cindy kaplan oh. and i followed her i she did the pros and cons of everything so i don't know if it's still out there but you know but it's an old book so it doesn't have the information we now have today so there's, there's I, tons there's of resources out there's there. There's tons of resources, and people just have to start writing and not putting it off. I think yeah. that's number one. Yeah, is don't put it off. And don't You've be got afraid. a book in you. Yeah, do don't it. Be Get amongst it. Yeah. Look, I I couldn't stand the thought of writing. I never called myself a writer. I've written six books. So you got to you got to turn around to yourself and say sometimes, <laughs> actually, you know, maybe, oh, maybe I failed I English. <laughs> I failed English in year 12. What? I, I slept yeah. through English. I slept through English. There you go. Charles Dickens who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no, I, I failed HSC English. I had to go back and repeat. Well, if you failed it, there's hope for all There's of hope for everybody. And I think that's a great note to finish yeah. the podcast. <laughs> So if you've enjoyed this podcast or if you've got any questions for the girls or for myself on writing a book, go to our Facebook page, allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And you can also post your comments on allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. So go ahead and post your comments. And when you're on iTunes, be sure to give us a five-star rating and tell everybody that you know that up for a chat rocks. <laughs> Join us here next week on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you on the ride. Hi, Lawrence Tamri from The Wellness Guy Show and the Inside the Champion's Mind. The Wellness Summit returns to Melbourne in 2014 for not only one, but two days of powerhouse wellness with your favorite wellness couch host and Australian's wellness elite. Join us at Crown Melbourne on Saturday, August 16th and Sunday, August 17th for inspirational, educational, fun, exciting, sensational cocktail of wellness that promises to help you take your life to the next level. Regular tickets are $297, but for strictly limited time, we have 150 seats available for just $247. Hurry up, because the first 150 tickets when we went on sale sold out in 48 hours. So be quick. Join us at the two-day live event that will change your life forever. Tickets now are on sale at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.